Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. The, the deeper we go into this series, I'm like, Lord, what's next? Like, you've, you've shown us some pretty amazing truths but what do you want to show us this morning? And, and I think that God wants to once again throw off the blinders on maybe a story that we have uh, seen and read and been familiar with. Uh, if you grew up in church like myself, you, you remember this story through vacation Bible school and Sunday school and children's church. Uh, but today I want to teach this story or preach this story from a different perspective. And so we're going to be talking on the story of the prodigal son. Uh, it found in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, either paper Bibles or electronic Bibles, uh, you can turn those on or flip, to, flip open to the, to the passage. Luke chapter 15. I am going to take the time to read the entire story so that we can get the context of what's going on in the text. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 11 through 32. 11 through 32 of Luke chapter 15. If you are there and you're excited, say yes. All right, let's get it. It says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So the younger son went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and saw dancing and, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What is the meaning of this? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father saying, look, how many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and is found. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we entrust this moment to your hands. Would you speak to us as only you can? Open up our hearts and our spirits, for we are ready to learn and be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the coolest things about being being a pastor here is that I get to speak at kind of a variety of places throughout the month. And, and so we've developed, our church has developed a really great relationship with Teen Challenge, uh, Teen Challenge Rhode Island. And, and we have the ladies come every month to City Night and they love it. Uh, they, they really enjoy coming to City Night. And I've had the opportunity to speak at Teen Challenge Rhode Island several times at their chapel services. They have chapel uh, pretty much every day of the week. And so they bring a variety of pastors out. It's been pretty cool to, to be able to develop that relationship. That relationship turned into a relationship with Teen Challenge Brockton, which is a men's program, and they have like a crazy facility, awesome campus, I mean, really beautiful uh, place, and so I've gotten to speak at their chapel, which was really fun. That relationship turned into a relationship with Teen Challenge Boston, and so I was booked to speak at Teen Challenge Boston this past Tuesday. Now, if you've noticed the past, like, nine Tuesdays, it rains every Tuesday, it's crazy. What is going on with Tuesdays? And so it rains every Tuesday. And so uh, I woke up on, I, I had to be in Dorchester by 9 a.m. So, so, so I'm here in CF. So I woke up at, I, the night before I asked Alina, I'm like, what time do you think I should leave? Like, let's say, I don't know, 7.30, 7.40 pushing it. Like, what time should I be out of the house to be at Dorchester. I mean, Dorchester's not that deep in. So I woke up, my alarm was off for 7 a.m. So I, the alarm goes off at seven o'clock and just for kicks, I just put on Teen Challenge Boston on my GPS as soon as I woke up. I'm like, let's just see what Google's thinking about the route right now. And as soon as I put in Teen Challenge Boston on my GPS, Tuesday rainy morning, my heart sunk. It was already saying an hour and 40 minutes, already. Which meaning, it's, it's going to get worse. This is not going to get better the longer I wait, right? So, so I need to be out of the house pronto, right, like right, right, like right now. Like I had my whole plan. I'm going to get up casually. I'm going to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sip my coffee nice and like proper and, 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 and beautifully. Like I'm going to, you know, mosey over to the car and uh, just, you know, slightly like just turn the key and, and be on my way and just pull into Teen Challenge, anointed, blessed, ready to minister, change lives, recruit the next Billy Graham and be on my way. Right? I'm going to, my, my plan was just perfect. So as soon as I saw Google Maps saying an hour and 40 minutes, reality struck and I'm like, yep, Boston. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what time. Boston, like I give honor to Boston residents. Can we give some honor to Boston residents? I love you. 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 All of you. I love you. Y'all are blessed. And, um, and we really are blessed with some pretty amazing Boston people. Can we just, can we just one more time just honor just everybody that comes from there. Whenever I go into Boston, I'm like, what is, where is everyone going? What is going on? Too many cars. And then I pass the former Kmart sign coming back into Rhode Island. And I'm like, look at the calm. And so an hour and 40 minutes on Google Maps, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, I gotta get my, I gotta get my move on. So Alini wakes up and she's, you know, she's trying to help and, and, and she brewed my coffee and, and basically had it like at my mouth for me to drink it. And, and, and so I just swallowed the coffee and, uh, and, and 
took a because I, I have to take a shower in the morning in order to like I, I feel like my face never gets unswollen if I don't get hot water on it, so I need to like take a shower. Have you ever noticed like if, if I don't know my face just is in that perpetual state of like just pillow marks if I don't if I don't take a shower, so I jumped in the shower, jumped out, dried halfway like and just like threw on threw on clothes and got on my way. Not as you know blessed and anointed as I had hoped, but I but I went. And, uh, and I was just stopped on 95, like across the former Kmart sign, basically just stopped, parked, might as well park, put on the hat, like just stop, stopped. And I'm like, okay, this is going to take, this is, hashtag this is going to take a while to, to, to beckon my, my, my brother Kevin Eloy, who loves that phrase. This is going to take a while. And um, just driving, and I'm not the most patient of people, y'all know that, and, uh, and, but there's just no way. There's no way to, there's no way to go forward. So the time's ticking, the clock's going up. And so I, I, I pull in to Teen Challenge Boston at 8.55. I'm like, Lord Jesus, you're good. 8.55, five minutes to spare. Five minutes to have with the Holy Spirit before I walk in. So then I go up to the door, cut, 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 and no answer. I ring the doorbell, no answer. Pouring rain! I'm trying to look all fresh and relevant with my leather jacket on, with my Chelsea boots. Like, I'm trying to look right. Hair was done nice. Like, like I was just try, I was like trying to look my part. And uh, no answer. I look up the phone number I call. No answer. Left a message. Hey, this is Pastor Shane. I've been booked to speak here for now maybe a month and a half, about six weeks. I'm standing outside pouring. I would like to come in and share a word. Uh, if you would mind opening the door, that'd be great. Like, how do you say that in a nice, graceful way, right? There's no, there's no graceful way of saying, open the door. Like, you just gotta, so I tried to be as graceful and diplomatic as possible and, and hung up, left, felt like nobody was gonna even, I, I kept peering in the door like a creep and uh, nobody, nobody is, there was a light, but no one's coming to the door. I went to the back of the building to see if there's a back door. Not, not, nothing, came back to the front. I look at the doorbell to see if it's like labeled. It says, yep, Teen Challenge Boston. I'm like, all right, this is right. Like, this is the spot. Like, I gotta I got be here. I, and so I'm faced with a decision like, okay, this has been booked for six weeks. If I just leave, they'll think I never came. Now I'm not a man of my word. Now I don't get any more speaking invitations. Shane doesn't show up. But if I stay, what am I staying for? No one's coming. <laughs> no one's coming to the door. So, so what do I do? So then I pull out my, my calendar. No, it was the right day. I was, that was, it was the right day. It was the right day. Don't, don't. But I checked it like nine times to see if it was the right day. And under the day, I put the address. And I was not at the right house. <laughs> Teen Challenge owns three houses on that street. And so I was like, oh, shoot. Now do I get back in the car? And it's all one ways. So now, like, I'm past where I need to be. Do I walk in this pouring rain and go in looking like I just came out of the shower? Or do I... So I just walked, I, I ran it, I just ran it, and, and I got to the thing. They were already like done with worship. 
And so really I had no time to enter the presence. Like I, like I'm counting on the worship team to like lead me in, (laughs) right? Like I need the worship team to get me into a place where I can minister effectively. I can't just run in there. So I, I literally ran in trying to play it cool. And they're like, oh yes, we were expecting you. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'll come back to this story later. But have you ever been in a situation where expectation and reality were like at polar opposite ends? I was expecting to get up, drink my coffee casually, dress, spend some time with the Lord. And for those of you that are ultra spiritual, you're like, well, the Lord dwells in us. So you, you were already in the presence. Yes, I know. you uber-spiritual people. (laughs) But I I was expecting one thing, and the reality was very different. That's what's happening in the story of the prodigal son times a million. Let me explain. The story of the prodigal son is almost mistitled because it's the story of a man with two sons. This man has two sons, and, and, you know, in that culture, you only, get your inherit- you only get your inheritance when your parent dies. You don't get your inheritance in life. You get your inheritance when the father passes away. And, and so this, the younger of the two sons goes up to the father and says, Father, I would like my share of the inheritance now. Come on, how many of y'all like money now? He's like, I want my inheritance now. And, and the father almost, without even thinking twice, says, okay. Here, here, here you go, here's, here's your port. Now, th- it seems casual when you read the passage, but this was like the man's livelihood. This is like your parent has a savings account that's been stacked for a generation, a 401k that they're counting on. And they, you ask for your half and they take out half of their retirement and hand it off to you. This is what they're gonna buy bread with in their old age. And they hand it off. I'm not getting any ideas. Don't worry. I am the younger, but I'm not going to do it. And, and so, he, they, so they, they, he, he asks for the half of the portion. And what's happening here is that he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. It's essentially what's happening. Because you're asking for something that shouldn't be yours until your father passes. If you're asking for it in life, what you're wishing is actually his death. And so... The father gives him his half, and, and the story runs pretty quickly, this act one of this story, where the, son, the younger son goes out, and he squanders the money in reckless living, sleeping around with prostitutes, gambling, whatever it may be. He, he wastes all the money quickly. This, this livelihood that the father had worked and labored all his life to build is squandered in one moment of stupidity, of foolishness, really. And so he ends up in a place where things were bad and they got worse. A famine now hits the land. And so nobody has food. Nobody has money. This guy is as broke as a joke. And now he is faced with needing to eat because everybody needs to eat. So he gets hired out by this farmer who has pigs. And this son who had the right to an inheritance is now in a position of feeding pigs. And now even worse so to the point of eating the pig's pods, which is the food of the pigs. Now, in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, pigs are like the dirtiest of the dirtiest of things. And all of you that love bacon are like, what? But the, that this was 
really, really bad. Any bacon lovers in the house? I, I, I love me some good bacon. This week, Alini made some bacon in an air fryer. I never knew you could fry with air. Check it out. So the pigs were the worst of the worst, the dirtiest of the dirtiest, and now this, this son who had had a position in his father's household is now forced to eat with the pigs. Have you ever, beckoning back, hearkening back to Alini's message, have you ever been in a position where you're like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Just a bunch of foolish choices got this son to where he was at. And then the scripture begins to shift where he says, when he came to his senses, he realized, hold on, even the servants and the slaves in my dad's house at least have a meal to eat. So surely I can go back to my father and say, uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not even asking to be reinstated as a son. I'm just asking to be a servant, a slave in your household. And I will work my way up into becoming a son again. But just let me become a slave in your house. And surely I can just have a little tiny bit of bread to feed me. And so he comes to his senses and he makes the long, shameful, guilt-ridden journey back home. And his father is standing in the position that same road where the son had left, the father is still there waiting for his son to return home. Now, Jewish culture would have said, like, they would have already had the funeral because this son left. They don't know if he's alive or dead. Historians say they probably already celebrated a funeral for this. Like, they commemorated this guy's funeral, and they had basically assumed this guy was dead, but the father had not lost hope, and he stands there at that same position, that last place that he had seen his son leave, and he's just waiting. And as soon, I, I just picture in my head, as soon as the younger son steps over the horizon, the father doesn't need to wait and see if it's really him. He just knows in his heart that that's his son. Now, the right way for this story would, to progress would be that the son would run into the father's arms. That the son, the one who had done the damage, would be the one who is forced to, you know, reckon all that has happened. And, and he should be running to the father and begging for forgiveness. But the father runs to the younger son. The father runs to the younger son and, and the son starts his speech that he had rehearsed when he was eating with the pigs. And he says, look, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of being called your son. He couldn't even finish his speech where he was going to say, let me become a slave in your household. The father calls the other servants and says, my son who was dead is now alive. He was lost, but is found. Put a robe on him, put a ring on him, kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. Now, this is not just like an average party. This is not like a boring baby shower. This is like, this is, this is. This is like, call the neighbors, put up the street, like, get a DJ, open up the dance floor, my son's alive kind of thing. Kill the fattened calf. Now, you're like, what? That was a big, you saved the fattened calf for the most important event of your lifetime. And it's like, hold on, this should not have gone this way. What's going on? Let, let, let me, there's a couple observations that I want to give you from here, and I, I want to read them to you because this is just too good for us to get wrong. 
The younger son had the desire for the blessings of sonship without the responsibilities of sonship. He wanted the father's things, but not the father, essentially wanting the father dead. How many of us have oftentimes been caught in a position where we want the blessings of following Christ without the responsibilities of following Christ? We want the we want the sermons about purpose and destiny and identity and unlocking and blah, blah, blah. And, but then when it comes to Christian living and discipleship and carrying our cross and becoming disciplined and, and actually working this thing out called salvation, we're like, no, 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 no. We want the sermons about purpose. Unlock it. And then, but when it comes to, and I'm all about unlock and anoint and oh, I'm all about it. I'm all about the blessing. But on the opposite side of the, and this is the, 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 the tragedy of American Christianity now, is that we weigh heavy on the side of unlock, release, transfer, blah, blah. And then, how about discipleship? How about Christian living? How about spiritual disciplines? How about prayer? How about fasting? No, I want the unlock, blah. And, and, but then, I could do that all day, by the way. Like, this is me at retreat, man. I am like, call the nations forward. Let's unlock stuff. Like, but then, like, Monday comes where we have to walk this thing out. We want the hype, but we want the help. We need the help. Man, I want Saturday night retreat where we're like throwing chairs and jumping on knees and, and, and knocking every, like, I want it. I love it. Man, that gives, fanning each other until we're in flames. Like, I want all of that. I want the hype. Only, we are the most. Only Ambassadors Church fans people into flame, literally. <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. We, we go all out, flashing lights on everybody, like we do it. But how about the responsibilities of becoming a son? This younger son wanted the father's things, but not the father, essentially wishing the father was dead. This is the height of disrespect. This is the height of sacrile- a sacrilegious spirit, which means you are denigrating or, or demeaning the value of sonship to the possession of things. That's the damage of the prosperity gospel because it decreases the value of God to what God puts in your hand. It decreases the value of sonship to the value of what God can give you. So we're going to give $10 because we're expecting a million dollars tomorrow. That's not God. Because there's a difference between that whole thing and us actually giving an offering to God because 100% of what we have belongs to God. And so we are just giving God an offering, a, a, a thanksgiving Hashtag Thanksgiving for this Thursday. We're giving God th- Thanksgiving for what he has done for us and believing that the same God who has blessed us will continue to bless us. Blessing is not material. 
Blessing is spiritual. The value of being God's son is not in what God can give to me, but it's in my identity as a son of God. That is the blessing, is the identity as a son. And so this, this younger son had the desire for the blessings of sonship without the responsibilities. Number two, the father was just as reckless as the younger son. Reckless love of God. Best song of 2017, 18, and probably 19. Like this, like this is reckless love. Like Middle Eastern, ancient, old men don't run. I did my homework. Notice, Isaiah gives a word about, about running. Prophet Isaiah, who does he say is running? Young men, children. Young men run. Kids run. Women run, even, in this culture. Old men, you don't run to nobody. People run to you. This father picks up his dress. Exposing his legs. Like, whenever I wear shorts to church, 95% of this church is shocked. I don't get it, but it's like that. That shocking of a thing. Picks up his dress and runs to this son. Runs to this son. This is reckless. This is abandonment of protocol. This is abandonment of what is proper and right and put together. Because he didn't care if anybody saw his legs. He didn't care if he looked like a fool. He didn't care if no other old man run. His son had come back home and he is willing to run to wherever his son is to find him. Can we say an amen to that? God is more crazy about you than you are about him. He is reckless in his pursuit of us. He stands there when we were dead in our trespasses and he still looks for us to come home. The grace of God to accept you is bigger than your decision to accept him. The grace of God to accept you is bigger and stronger than your decision to accept him. His grace is more powerful than your free will. Because we oftentimes word this phenomenon of salvation as us accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts. As if we are in the position of making this decision. But the greater decision in this equation is the decision of the Father to accept us into the family. The grace of God to accept you into his family is bigger than your decision to accept him into your heart. Because God is that crazy in love with you that he is willing to accept somebody who is not worthy of coming back ever. Somebody who has been labeled as dead and gone. The funeral has been had, the grave has been sealed, and he still wants you as part of the family. Man, in the family of God, there are no invisible people. Not even dead people can get away about being outside of God's love. Can we say amen to that? That's why Paul says life, death, angels, demons, height, depth, present, future, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you're on board with this this morning, but this is a word. This is a word and a half. This is the kind of sermon you need to download, share, retweet, post, quote, everything. Live. Amen. Praise God. You need, it. you need it on your heart. Because when you know how much God loves you, everything changes. The son wanted to earn his way back into the family. Work his way back into sonship. The father restored his son into the family. God doesn't restart people. He restores people. 
God is not monopoly. Back to start. God is not the kind of God who, all right, you messed up. Start from scratch. God doesn't restart. He restores. This son came and said, I'm not unworthy of being called your son. I'm unworthy. So let me at least be a slave in your household and I will labor and I will toil and I will work and I will sweat and I will be in the field until I'm worthy of being called your son. You see, the most righteous acts that we could ever do will never earn us sonship. But by the grace of God, we would all be slaves. But because of the grace of God, we are called sons and daughters of the most high God. Can you say amen this morning? So the party's happening, right? Fattened calf is slayed. People are dancing up a storm. And the older, the, the older son is off in the field. This is the invisible person of the story that I want to talk about. Because in the story of the prodigal son, usually the takeaway message is, the kid came home. Boom, done. Let's celebrate. We're lost. We're found. We're part of the family. Let's dance. Let's have the fattened calf. That is not the end of the story. This is not the story of the prodigal son. This is the story of two sons. And so the, the older son is out in the field working, doing what he's always done. When the younger son went off and squandered all the money, that son was there. He was faithful. He was loyal. He was present. He was in the field. He was by his father's side. He never left the household. And so he starts hearing some music out in the field. And so he's like, what is going on? What is, the scripture even says, he asked, what is the meaning of this? He walks back toward the house. He sees the dancing. He hears the, the music. What is the meaning of this? The servants come out and like, your brother, the one who left years ago, wasted half of your dad's 401k on prostitutes. He's back. And your dad killed the fattened calf for him. Called the whole neighborhood and we're having a party. The older son refuses to attend, stands outside the party. Stands outside. Have you, you have those friends? Yes. Everyone's having a good time. That's, that's him. <laughs> Standing outside the party. And the father, the same father that accepted the prodigal, comes outside of the party to talk to his older son. And as soon as the father shows up, the older son unleashes his wrath on the dad. Not even calling him by his name, like the, 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 son, the younger son by his name. Like when this son of yours squandered half of your, half of your property on prostitutes, he has devoured your legacy. I have been here all along. I have worked. I have toiled. I have labored. I have done the work of two by myself, I have been here. I never left your side, Dad. How could you throw a party for that son of yours who wasted half of what our family has? You see, the fattened calf should have been the meal of this older son's wedding. That fattened calf belonged to the older son. Why would you waste it on somebody that has already wasted everything? And the dad with the same grace that he accepted the younger son, turns to his older son and says, son, you have always been with me and all I have is yours. The father meant that literally 
because the younger son had already taken his portion and wasted it. So everything that was still the father's would be the older son's when the, when the father died. That was a literal statement. Everything that I, everything you see, this land that you're working, this house, this money, everything that I have is yours. But more importantly, son, don't you see that I'm here? You see, a lot of times we think it's the younger son that went and wasted everything. But the older son also had more of a desire for the father's things than for the father. Because he squandered relationship with the father. Because he thought, if I just keep working, I'll get what's rightfully mine. This is the religious spirit. Because on the two sides of the spectrum, Jesus is teaching that both sides are wrong. One side is the side that takes things from God and wastes it and comes back home and God accepts you. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, there are the ultra-religious. They are the legalistic. They are the Pharisees of this world. They are the church figures of this world who are right in the presence of the Father but are neglecting the blessings of being a son because they are more interested in what God is going to pass off to them when this story ends. It's the same thing happening on two sides of this spectrum. It is just as wasteful. It is just as evil. It is just as sinful. Just because the older son had never left didn't mean he earned anything. This older son was more interested in what the father owned than in the father. That is the spirit of religion that ostracizes you just as far from the father as the prodigal son was. The older son thought his works would get him rewards. That is the spirit of religiosity that says what we do and don't do make us earn God's favor. It's the spirit that says, well, what I, what I do, and if I work, and if I, if I just keep serving, and I'm gonna be on worship, and, and I'm gonna go to blocks, and I'm gonna be in the Bible, and I'm gonna be there every Tuesday, and, and I'm just gonna do it, and I'm gonna obey, and I'm not gonna drink, and I'm not gonna uh, sleep before marriage, and I'm not gonna do this, that, I'm not gonna go to the club, and I'm not gonna, and, and that mindset of like, I'm gonna obey, 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 obey. But little did you know that that's not what makes you a son. Obedience flows from sonship. Obedience doesn't produce sonship. Obedience flows from sonship. We bear fruit. We don't produce fruit. And so there's this, there's this paradigm that Jesus is showing that, look, I came for both sons. The ones who have squandered and wasted and have come back home. And these Pharisees that are already in the house but are just as far from me. The older son was just as lost as the younger son, but I would say he was more lost than the younger son because the younger son came to his senses and came home. The older son was more lost because he unleashes his wrath on the father, never coming to his senses. You need to learn this this morning, church. Grace to one is not a curse to the other. Just because God has demonstrated forgiveness to one does not mean he is cursing you. We are all sons and daughters of God. Everything belonged to the Father. And it seems like the story just ends. It just ends right there. On to the next thing. 
but the story really didn't end. If I were to end it, I would say after this whole dialogue, the, the older son is unleashing his fury on the dad and saying, how could you do this? How could we throw this party? This is unjust. This is unright. This is not, this is not the way it should have been. How does the story end? Walk with me in this. I, I picture the, the older son being so furious, so furious that, that this father had demonstrated grace to somebody that didn't deserve it. That he took the closest piece of wood and he killed his father because of how angry he was. And you're like, how does that make any sense? Why would the older son kill the father? And I would ask you the same question. Why would the religious Pharisee scribes seek to kill Jesus? Because Jesus was the one that demonstrated grace to the prostitute. He was the one that demonstrated grace to the lepers. He was the one who demonstrated grace to the outsiders. And they were so mad that this Jesus rabbi figure was denigrating, desecrating their religion, that they betrayed him into the hands of the Romans so that they could kill Jesus. You see, the older son wasn't like, okay, let's go back to the party. He had been so blinded by religion that he thought the only way for me to get justice is for me to kill the father. And that's what the Pharisees thought when they killed Jesus. They said, okay, this guy's gonna come and ruin Judaism. This guy's gonna come and claim to be the son of God. What we're gonna do to handle it is we're gonna kill him on Calvary's cross. And they thought the story was over. But you can't kill the love of the father. You can't kill God. You can't kill God. And so they laid him in that grave and they thought, all right, we've handled it. This God who just accepts anybody, this rabbi who, who dines with prostitutes and welcomes in the lepers and, and heals all these supposed diseases, we've handled it. But on the third day when Jesus Christ rose again, he proved once and for all, I came for the religious and I came for the lost. I came for the ones who are already in and I came for the one left behind. I came for both of these people and both of them need salvation and both of them are loved and both of them have access. Both of them are sons. You see, it's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of all people because this morning you are one of these two. Either you have been the one who is far away and needs to come home or you are the one who sits in the rows of the church but are still so far away from God. God wants you too and you are still considered a son and a daughter of God. So I drove up to Teen Challenge Boston. I was standing outside that door realizing I was at the wrong address. So close yet so far. So close to where I needed to be, but I was at the wrong address. So many of us with a religious mindset are so close to stepping into who God has called you to be, but you're still so far because religion has blinded you to the beauty of grace. Grace is needed to heal the religious spirit just as much as grace is needed to restore the prodigal. Both sides of the spectrum need God. Both sides of the spectrum need to have a relationship with the Father. Both people need to be reminded that everything the Father has is yours. This morning, maybe you feel like the invisible older brother 
You've been working and toiling and doing your best. God wants to tell you a resounding stop trying. Not in a way of saying, let's become complacent. But in a way of saying, no matter how much you, how much you do, you're never going to be worthy enough. Obedience to God's command needs to flow from an identity that is rooted in knowing that we are sons and daughters of God, not the other way around. This morning, if you could stand with me, I want to pray for you.